Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. My guest is Esther Ballant, and her story is really quite unusual. It's so unusual, in fact, that her latest project is a memoir. She was born in Hungary and lived there until she was about 10 years old. But the rise in communism at that time forced artists who were more avant-garde, like Esther's family, to leave the country. She found herself in New York City with her immediate and extended family, creating the Squat Theater, where some of the most amazing artists created their work. Esther worked with a diverse array of people. Sometimes she was behind the scenes with Sun Ra, while other times she was right in the middle of it all, from acting in Jim Jarmusch movies to playing violin in a Jean-Michel Basquiat production. So it shouldn't be a surprise that she began writing and performing her own material. And when the acting bug reappeared, she went to L.A. But she eventually came back to New York, raised a family, and got back to music. Her aforementioned new project is a combination theater production and accompanying album called I Hate Memory that pairs her with Stu from Stu and the Negro Problem. She's got shows coming up in New York City, so check out her Instagram page at esther.ballant. Pick up I Hate Memory on Bandcamp or wherever you get music. Follow us at Performance ANX on Instagram and Twitter. Reach out there or the Performance Anxiety Pod at gmail.com. We have merch at performanceanx.threadless.com and we accept cups of coffee at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. Now let's dive headfirst into this chat with Esther Ballant on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Okay, that's <laughs> great. This is Esther Ballant, and I am on Performance Anxiety Podcast right now, which is an awesome title. I'm so happy to be here. Let me actually um, close my door. Sure. So that we have quiet. You second. got it. You got it. Hey. Right. All right. Thank you for coming on and joining me. This is uh, this should be a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Oh. I like the title of your podcast very much, and I'm going to be listening to episodes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, you might find some of your friends on there. Like I've had uh, Michael Girard, Jarbo on, Dave Schramm. Some people, yeah. awesome artists. Let's get right into things. You've got a different background from a lot of people <laughs> I've had on this, this podcast. I mean, you were born in... Hungry and emigrated to New York City. When, how old were you when you left Hungary? I was 10 and I lived in um, 
Paris for about a year and a half. Oh, wow. I'm traveling a lot in, in Western Europe, but stationed in Paris. And then I came to New York when I was 11. Was there a reason you guys left Hungary? Yeah. Uh, basically, the reason was that it was a communist regime at the time, and the authorities were uh, hell-bent on harassing my father and his collaborators and their theater company. They were wow. not doing overtly political work per se, but they were doing very free, adventurous, not at all conforming to the societal norms of, of the regime. And right. that in itself was considered a, a political act. And so initially they were prohibited from performing in public spaces. And then they started at kind of an apartment theater. So they would be performing in one of the founders apartment uh, with invited guests. And uh, wow. somehow the authorities started cracking down on that too. So it was just a matter of, uh, we can't do our work here. So it's yeah. time to book it. Wow. That's crazy. Jeez. So th you eventually, uh, you and your family and your uh, extended family, if, if it sounds like, found your yeah, way to yeah. New York and continued the, the avant-garde theater in New York City. Yes. Yeah. So it was, it was a, you know, people kind of call it a commune now, but it was really not trying to be a commune just to be a hippie commune, but it was more like practical. Like we are doing this work together. So we are, it's going to be a lot more practical to live together. Okay. And they were really devoted to the work and they got a build. They, we got a building on 23rd street back in those crazy days when you could, when things like that could happen. Can you imagine getting a building now, oh. unless you're a billionaire? No. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, yeah. And so that was what, the late 70s or Yeah. Yeah. That was the late 70s. And uh, it was a three story building with a storefront as the theater space, which then also became a kind of nightclub where a lot of bands performed. And I was child dj we, sh we shouldn't say that in, in public because the child labor laws would crack right. down <laughs> but then again i was also on stage in the plays since like age seven so well and that's you, you've got a new album out which we'll get to eventually but that's kind of what the new album makes me think of it, it it's it was a completely different time almost yeah. a different planet uh, yeah, but somehow that that planet, you know how when you're transitioning from being a child to an adult, so like what is traditionally called a teenagehood or whatever, mm -hmm. I even though I didn't really have a teenagehood exactly, I went from like eight to 30. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but those years are very sort of formative. So like what... I mean, that sounds cliche. We all know this, but what, how, how you live in that time is how you think the world is. Yeah. So for me, that time of that period and, and that kind of cultural exchange of ideas and really free spirit and, and all that is very much still somehow, even though you're saying it's a different planet to me, it's still part of me in a weird way. I can understand that. And yeah. I mean, that, that theater is called the Squat Theater. Mm -hmm. And you grew up around 
some of the most amazing artists. So it, I can, it makes sense when you say you kind of went from eight to 30, because I mean, yeah. you, you grew up you know, working with like Jean-Michel Basquiat and, and Sun Ra and, and it just people that when I was, you know, 10 years old, I didn't even know. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. And, and again, and again, when you're growing up with it, you, you get excited and it's cool and everything, but you also kind of think, well, this is kind of normal. This is how the world is. And in our little corner of the world in sort of downtown New York, late seventies, early eighties, that is how the world was. That's what's crazy. You know? Yeah. I mean, and you were right in the middle of that whole no wave scene with, yeah. you know, with People like we mentioned, like Michael Girard, Wharton Tears, all kinds of just incredible artists making amazing music. I mean, some of it was, is more sounds than music, but yeah. you're pushing yeah. boundaries. Yeah. And and just that that even though some some of it was great, some of it was OK, some of it was great, but maybe I didn't get that it was great. But what, what yeah. was really consistent is everybody cared about what they were doing really deeply. You know, they weren't just doing it because they wanted to be famous or because they wanted to make a lot of money. God knows you didn't make a lot of money doing that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, they did it for each other. They did it because it was their way of communicating with each other. And it was sort of in the ethos then. And that, that was a kind of a beautiful thing. So growing up in a theater with parents just immersed in this and family all over the place immersed in this was being artistic or creative. I mean, was that even a choice? Did you have a choice between? No, uh, no. <laughs> no, but so let me, let me drill into that. Cause yeah, yeah. I like to do that at the time. It wasn't, I happened into it. I was thrown on stage as a kid, but I had a real genuine feeling that I believe was truly me, not just my conditioning, that that this environment really spoke to and resonated with. And not all the kids who grew up in the theater turned into artists. Right, some of right. them are um, professors, some of them are uh, different things. And, and also, I really believe now for, for a long time, I questioned whether I'm just an artist because I grew up in that environment. And so it's all I know. But I really believe now that it's deeper than that for me. There is a there is there is that. But there's also just a, it's a very personal thing. Who, who chooses this as a life path? And there's often not a whole lot of rewards. So right. it's really like you got to you got to really be it and devote it to, to do it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. So you, you're well known for your violin playing. Was that what you started off playing or was there anything else that? I actually know I was well known for it, but thank you for saying that. But yeah, I did start <laughs> with that. I did. That's, that's actually was my introduction to music. When I was a kid, I studied classical violin for a few years. I actually started in Hungary when I was a little kid Wow! and had an amazing incredible teacher who to this day I hold dear to my heart because the reason that I hold her so dear to my heart is because even though I wasn't a good classical violin student in future years and I put the violin down for many many years and I hated practicing and (laughs) but she gave me a really solid foundation which is what helped me return to the violin again and again and and rebuild a rapport with it. And now I think I do have a pretty good rapport with it. You've also done a lot of acting when you were growing up, those formative years that you were talking about, was there uh, a pull towards one over the other music or acting? Well, I think that acting is more something that happened to me that I fell into both because of the theater and having been on stage a lot. And then out of that came a lot of other projects and films and in a very organic way, because we were in such a community, was such a community, but, and I, and I do love performing. I do love being a part of, a great project, but I think when it really came down to it for me, if I were on a desert Island, I'd probably say it was music in the end. That was more truly just my own thing, but it's, it's a tricky thing because, you know, when you're performing a song on a stage and telling a story, it's not as different from acting as some people think. Really? I, I think. Yeah, I think there is a there is a little bit of a relationship there. Oh, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So you've done so I mean, okay, speaking of the acting, so you've been in movies by some you know, created by some amazing people like Jim Jarmusch, who you starred alongside Screaming Jay Hawkins, who I, I I love Screaming Jay Hawkins. You worked with Steve Buscemi, uh, Mia Farrow, and John Malkovich in, in a Woody Allen film. And you end up not acting for a while, and then you come back to it in, with Louis C.K. In, in your music career, you've done something, you've done similar things. You know, your first 
recording credit is with Jean-Michel Basquiat on on uh, a song he produced with mm-hmm. uh, uh was it Ram I know Ram yes you're saying to yourself what can I do I can't go home I might as well quit school Charles are hard to find everybody knows and you can't do crime cause you're on parole no education is a big disgrace and so you might as well work at the sanitation and can you get a trip I know the man that gets with the deal that rocks like a bimster ass real real. He can get real ill when you're on the chill. I like the quarter drop and die. I can make it say what? How old were you at that point? Uh, probably about 15, maybe 16. I don't wow. know. Like that. Now, how did that happen? How did you get into that situation? I was friends with Basquiat. And uh, he knew I played violin. I had actually played a little bit of violin with. Uh, if if the bass is bothering you, by the way, let me know. My, I'm just noticing that my son's practicing. I can't story. even hear it. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so I had played a violin in a few like art band projects, just one-off shows here and there, in the back in those early club days. And so Jean-Michel knew that I played violin, and he asked me to come in on that session. Wow! Because that's how it was back then. It's like, wait, which one of my friends plays an instrument? Oh, there's Esther. She plays violin. There's Al. <laughs> he plays percussion. There's you know, like that's how it was. It wasn't like you looked in your Rolodex for who are the session cats that yeah. you can call. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'll tell you one thing. I can hear the bass a little bit, but I actually really like it. So don't worry about it. Okay. I, all right. If it gets to be too much, just let me know. I I can ask him to no i don't want to interrupt that i i, I love it and uh I, I think it adds to it i think it's i think it's awesome so all right so you end up in a session with ronald z and um k rob doing beat bop you're acting in move in jim jarmish movies uh you end up in you know playing opposite uh david bowie at one point in the linguini incident i mean it's it's just amazing how some of this stuff has just kind of found its way to you, I guess, is the, is the best way. Yeah. And, and, you know, when, when you talk about it in, in like 10 seconds like that, it just seems like all of life was this super glamour, <laughs> super hip series of events one after the other, but you know, real life, a lot of it happens in between these amazing moments, but yeah, it, 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 really is cool like when i think about that these things just found their way to me i don't know i don't know if i have anything to do with it but <laughs> well you you put yourself out there and, and you 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 know you were open to doing different and interesting things which opens yourself up to some some amazing opportunities yeah but at one point you end up leaving new york to go to la and that's when you actually started making your solo albums was there a reason that was music the reason you moved to la or was it something else i actually ended up moving there kind of by default i went out there to i think promote a film i'd been in a, a, a tiny little independent film called bail jumper and because i I had lived through some really hard times and hard changes in New York City mm-hmm. right before then. I, I decided I needed a break. Uh, this was in the late, very late 80s. And, 
you know, in, in New York City, a lot of that cool stuff that we were just talking about, it really started shifting in the 80s and like the mid 80s, it started real, the landscape really started changing. And I wasn't feeling that comfortable here anymore. And I just needed a change of scenery. So I went out there and I kind of by default ended up staying because I <laughs> couldn't deal with coming back to New York for a while. Wow. Because between all those glamorous things that you listed, I was living in like, you know, tenement apartments and fifth floor walk up weird bathtub in the kitchen situation, oh, whatever. Yeah. You, know, you know, all that stuff. And and that's fine. And I'm not complaining about it, but still I'd, I'd kind of had enough of that and a bunch of other things. My community sort of broke up. Um okay. And then I got into the film world out there as, as one does. I mean, I was already in the <laughs> film world when I went out there and then it just made sense that that was something I was going to pursue to try to survive as an actor yeah. and being in Los Angeles in the uh, eye of the hurricane of, of that world of the, of the acting world, I ended up hating it. I ended up hating the whole business of it. I hated auditions. I hated trying to get a job in a project that I didn't even like. And I also felt really lonely out there. LA is a really lonely town. Uh, it was actually, yeah, it was a few hard years, but it was completely fruitful and helpful because I got away from all that New York conditioning and familial stuff that I'd grown up with. And I really had to dig into a what, okay, I don't want to be a Hollywood trying to become a successful actor person. That's right. clear. <laughs> um, what do I want to do? And um, more and more, the music is just was like scratching on my brain and on my heart and yeah. everywhere. And so that's when that transition made happened and made sense to me. Okay. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Have you ever thought about CBD and wondered if it's the right choice for you? My wife and I did. For a few years now, she suffered from some chronic pain, and we had discussed trying CBD, but didn't have any idea where or even how to get started. That's why we chose Pure Spectrum. They make the highest quality hemp-derived products and back it up by providing third-party lab tests for every single batch of products right on their website. For my wife, we started with some tincture and isolate, but there's also gummies, topicals, mints, and a lot more. Pure Spectrum not only has CBD products for wellness, they also have CBD for fitness and recovery, and there's even CBD for your pets. And if you're like me and not sure how to start, there's a ton of information on the website and chat options available. So go to PureSpectrumCBD.com to do your own research. And when you check out, use the code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your order. Check them out on Instagram at PureSpectrumHemp and subscribe to their email list for sales, new products, and updates. Pure Spectrum, refined phytocannabinoid wellness products for all lifestyles. So you, you, you released a couple of albums, Flicker and Mud, which mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed. I didn't get a chance to hear all of Flicker, but I really did. I, I liked, I heard uh, all of Mud, which was really oh, cool. cool. I love that. I love the, uh, the Americana kind of vibe of that. So in the middle, the rocks shine. 
Midnight is just an amazing album, but there's an 11 year gap between Mud and an Airless Midnight. Was that were you doing yeah. family stuff, or was there a reason there was a big uh, gap? Yeah, uh, two reasons. One is I had a kid mm-hmm. who playing? was born. Yeah, and that, right that, will that that will do it. Let me tell you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so so my kid was born right when Mud came out, or like right around the same time and that really is is the nuts and bolts of it the other thing is that was really the time between mud and air last midnight that the music industry just completely changed it was a totally new landscape and to tackle that while raising a kid and just struggling to survive in new york city whatever it was it was because i did we just to circle back to that, I eventually moved back from LA to New York. Okay. Um, but yeah, so so that's that's the gap. The gap is the total change of the music industry and me raising a child. Wow. Airless Midnight is just such a cool album. Let Let's Tonight It is a I love that sound. It's got this a great mix of like this heavy chugging guitar and this the plinking piano. It's just so cool. <laughs> The, the, my favorite parts of the album have this that brooding quality to it that bands, you know, my favorite bands like 16 Horsepower and Woven Hand tend to have. And mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. absolutely love that quality. And yeah. you, you've got a great example of it, you know, throughout that album. I mean, and it's not all of that. It's not yeah. a depressing album by any means. It's a, it's a great mix of sounds, but those yeah. Americana type of song, those, those are the ones that I love the most. I love 16 horsepower. And I actually worked by kind of oh, wow. worked with somebody who, who played in that band for a while when I started doing music. But oh. um, yeah, that album was written and sort of conceived in the wake of my father's illness and death. So there, if there is a little bit of that heavy quality, that, that album is, I think deals uh. with that. At that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense then. Yeah. yeah. So after that, you ended up doing some more stuff with people like Michael Girard. You ended up being on The Seer, which is, that's an awesome album. album. Playing with yeah. David Tram. Um, did you keep that relationship up through your time in, in New York or was that just a 
I had come back, you know, by that time. So I basically like my first album, Flicker, I just barely started it in L.A., but I pretty much made that entire record right after moving back from L.A. So I've been in I've been back in New York for like 600 years now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, But but yeah, those are all amazing people. I think my producer uh, J.D. Foster originally introduced me to Dave Schramm. He's amazing. I've oh, kind yeah. of lost touch with him a little bit, but he's such a great player. And then Michael Girard, I don't even know how I connected with him. It was probably through Martin B.C., who is a engineer who he lived with, and, and I recorded yeah. some stuff at his place. But he's amazing, totally amazing. I also did some work on his Angels of Light, album yeah maybe even a couple of them and and um yeah i think you're credited on two of them yeah he's great i, I understand they are doing something new again now yeah yeah he's yeah. touring in europe i think or maybe it may be he may be in the middle of it at this point i, I don't know I think like a third of my podcasts revolves around people who've worked with him at some point. It's amazing. Oh, really? Well, he's had a lot. Yeah. He's had a big, uh, yeah. He's got a big circle of collaborators. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a new album out that is a little different because it's not just an album. It's not a necessarily a soundtrack. It's just, it's this completely different being. I love that. I hate memory, which is a great title, by the way. It's so it's a kind of a memoir, even though you're not really a big fan of nostalgia. I know it's it sounds like a built-in contradiction, yeah. which <laughs> I love contradictions. I'm always trying to work out contradictions, and luckily I can never work them out because yes. if I could, I'd be done. I'd be cooked. <laughs> <laughs> This whole thing kind of combines, it, it brings everything full circle. It combines your music and your acting. Yeah, I I basically also have, and, and now it really does, because I also have a show, a live show component of of this album that, that features all the songs on the album and some text, some scenes, some monologues, even some acting, Some, which is like my acting style is not... It's kind of like non-acting, but regardless, <laughs> yes, it brings my all the aspects of my my theater history and all that is coming kind of full circle back into this project. Did this project start out as uh, the musical or the album? Well, it's it started out as a as a musical, okay, but but it did start with the songs. So everything else that that was built into the musical show originated with the songs the songs are the heart and soul of the piece and so i really hope and i think that the album and the songs stand on their own the songs are great now i have unfortunately i haven't seen the show yet but i have enjoyed the album and it's i can definitely there's there's certain songs that have bits of the the musical and some some dialogue in it and all which is Mm -hmm. i think is really cool did you start this project with uh, Stu from Stu yeah. and the Ego Problem? And was that? Yeah, it was- yeah. We 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 knew each other through friends, and I loved what you know. I loved Passing Strange, and I loved. Yeah. I actually saw him perform at just a regular concert, but it was a bunch of stuff from different projects that he'd done, and I 
I really liked his stage presence. I liked his sensibility, his brain. We also, I also knew of him from when I lived in LA. So I never actually met him out there, but Stu and the Negro problem was definitely a, a thing yeah. out there in, in the Silver Lake scene. So we got together, you know, we, we said, let's do something. And he said, well, I'm sure a lot of people have asked you about doing something about your life growing up in that crazy environment and the theater and, and all that. And I said, yeah, but I'm not really into nostalgia. And, and I know there are some cool stories there, but I'm just not really into so many people are preoccupied with that period in New York. And, and I am too, but I'm not into like fetishizing it. Right. And, and he said, that's exactly why you should do it. And like you, you would bring a different flavor to, to telling that story. And so then we, we collaborated on pretty much all of these songs. Well, I think, the, I think he was right. I think it's a great idea for someone who's not really going to have an agenda to talk about, you know, you're going to have a more objective view of it. If, if, you know, looking back on it in a, with a sense of nostalgia, isn't your thing, then you might have more of an objective view. I, I think so. And, and like we were joking about memory before that I love contradictions. I think that was the interesting challenge in this to, to be truthful to the memories, to be not nostalgic, but at the same time to not reject them, you know, to, to find those interesting contradictions of it was a really cool, amazing, special time. And yeah, not everything was so fucking great either, Yeah, you know? And, and I, I think what I can bring to it is just, something very personal without being too confessional, which is not really my style. Okay. So you bring up a good point there. Since this is kind of a memoir, anti-memoir, were there any songs or anything that were difficult to write and anything that, that maybe brought up some difficult memories or, or difficult things to, to write all about? Of them. <laughs> Pretty ah. much, you name it. No, <laughs> I mean, not all of them, but yeah, some, some, Definitely some were harder than others. Uh, that's why I open with the I Hate Memory song. It's a sort of ritual I have to go through to get to. It's sort of showing that this shit is not easy. Right. you know. And I want to kind of throw a little tantrum first and then I'll get to it. <laughs> you, you know. that's a, I love that approach. That's great. Too many memories mean to die Too many memories you're not new Mean to add, you're not now Memories, I'm scared of you The, the opener is great. I hate memory. This before America has that that little broodiness, that 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 quality that I like. That it's a great track. Um, and one of my other favorites is "Campfire at the Chelsea." Mm, that is a thank you. Song. I like that one too. I yeah. love that. Today and one lit another cigarette when the city went black. And any place is your And when you can't see cover 
One of the things I noticed, and, and, and I guess maybe I, w- I should ask this instead of just saying I noticed it, is the memoir kind of self-aware of being a memoir, specifically in songs like Privacy? Yeah, uh, so I feel like there are three songs on the album, beginning towards the middle, Privacy and End, Nostalgia, that are a little bit like meta commentary on this process. Okay. To survive gracefully, the grotesque hive tastefully requires the right to privacy. <laughs> a memoir? No way. That's like nails on a chalkboard coffin. It's too sad. You got something here we don't hear too often. So that's right. With respect to privacy Stories Tell all Memories Sell all And uh, yeah, so because it was so hard for me to do And because, not just because it's hard to revisit memories But also because it's a little hard to talk about these things in public yeah. If you're not a stupendously extroverted person, which I'm not at all, I'm actually quite private. Um, so there's like a little discomfort and almost shame about it. So the only way I could, I, I know, I knew this was worth pursuing, but the only way I could do it is if I sort of invited in to the process, the difficulty of the process. So that's why those three songs are sprinkled in there that are a little bit like, pulling back a little and talking about this process. Right. Okay. I also like how we talk about how New York in that time frame was a different world. And I love how freaks really illustrates that. I think that's really cool. That's my happy song. And that's one of the few happy songs I've ever written. Although the first day is kind of happy too, with a little sprinkle of bittersweetness in there. But yeah, uh, that is very much, that is great that you pointed that out because that's one of the few songs I've ever written that's a little bit like pulling back and 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 just showing you a landscape of what it was like yeah. without a particular little story or narrative in there or whatever. And so I'm glad you got that out of it. Oh yeah, it's it's great. It's one of my favorites on the album. Jacket, move your lips to the So how does the album differ from the live show? I think, I think there's some things that are in the live show that are not on the album. Yes. So the live show basically is all these songs, plus one other sort of spoken word piece that didn't make the album. Okay. um, Because it takes a little detour from New York and it just didn't make sense in the context of the album. And then monologues, scenes, projections, a few like, funny gags. So there's like a performance art, theatrical and text component and projection component all woven throughout. 
the songs. There's a cast. Right. Yeah. It's not just a monologue up there. You're not, you're not just doing it all yourself. No, 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 no. And, and the band has a role to play in the theatricality of it too. Oh, that is awesome. Is this something that's going to stay in the New York area or is it something that can be taken on the road? I hope it can get on the road. We're, we're performing in January at Joe's pub as part of under the radar festival here, which is a little bit of a big deal for, for your off the beaten path theater stuff. It happens every year. And, uh, so hopefully, uh, someone will come and like it and, (laughs) and that we can take it on the road and do a bigger, more theater, you know, and work in a bigger theater with it. And all that that kind of thing. It's a pretty ambitious project. So it has, it has a life ahead. I think. I hope so. Cause just not having seen it, I would, I'm so interested just from hearing the music. I'm so interested. I, I would love to I see, want it. You to see it. Where are you? You're, I, I'm outside of Washington, DC. You're a little far, but yeah. if you happen, you're not that far. If you have any errands to do in the New York area, it's January 19th. I, I have family up there. So maybe, maybe we can work something out. Yeah. So. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, how can people follow you and find the album, pick it up and help support this whole project? The album is available everywhere digitally, digitally only this time. Okay. And, but the best place to, to get it, I'm sure you've heard this one before is Bandcamp yep. for us. Our, that's our favorite. So if you can get it from Bandcamp, awesome. If not all the other usual suspects, Apple, Spotify, Tidal. And then for now, the, the next live show is January 19th at Joe's Pub in New York City as part of Under the Radar Theater Festival. Is there a social media presence where people can follow you and find and, and yes, stay up to date yes. with you? I'm a, yeah, I'm on Instagram just under my name. And uh, that's where I usually announce all my shows. I also have a website, which I'm not terribly good about keeping up, but but it's there. And uh, so either the website or but Instagram is probably even better. Okay. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much. Tell your son, I think he's sounding really good. I will. He'll be happy to hear that. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Talk soon. Bye. Bye-bye. The first day was love Yeah, the first day was new The first day was joy It was here and it was now and we don't know we're stupid yet we don't know we're stupid yet yeah the first day we get lost it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.